Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. To be able to stay in touch with what's going on here at Hope Church, we send out uh, our Monday morning email, and we would love for you to be a part of that if you're not, so that you can hear about what God's doing uh, and get involved. Um, additionally, I, I've, I say this every every Sunday, and I never get tired of saying it. Um, if, if you are here with us for the first time, one of our desires and one of our prayers for you is that today you would have an authentic and real experience with God. Uh, I don't know everybody in the room real personally, uh, so you, you may come from a different background than I come from. I don't know what your background is, but I do know this is for certain. We all need an encounter and a real experience that's authentic with the Spirit of God, with the person of Jesus. And so that's always our prayer for you. Uh, that when you leave this place this morning, that Jesus would be more real to you than he's ever been. And so that's my heart's desire for you today. And I hope that you, uh, that you have that encounter with the Lord today. I believe that he's got something good in store for you. Amen. Amen. I, uh, we, took our, we took our kids this week uh, to a water park and uh, had, had, a, had a big time. And, and of course, Sophia, our youngest, some of you know Sophia, she, uh, she turned six this week, by the way. She was very, very excited to turn six. Um, and, and so we, we went to a water park. I think it was actually her birthday that day, wasn't it, that we went to the water park. And uh, she came down. She was in the, the kiddie pool area and came down the kiddie pool uh, slide and into the little two feet of water. And, and uh, I watched her do it a bunch of times. And then one time she did it and she bumped herself pretty hard when she came down. And so she came running to me and, uh, and, to, and to her mom. And so I said, well, here, I'll talk to her because I'm always real good about making the kids laugh and stuff when they're crying, you know. Uh, and so, so she came over. I said, what happened, sweetheart? She said, well, I went down on this slide and I hit my bottom. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened. I said, which slide was it? And she pointed to the slide and showed me. And, and there's actually a sign at the top that says, nobody can go down on your belly, that you have to go down on your bottom. It says that on the slide. And so I said, which slide did you go down? She said, this one here. I said, and what happened? She said, I, I landed and I hit my bottom. I said, but you rode down on your bottom like the sign said, right? She said, yeah. I said, so you rode from the top to the bottom on your bottom, and then at the bottom you hit your bottom. Is that right? And she... <laughs> And she said, yeah, I, I think so. And I said, okay, what, did, when you hit your bottom, uh, where did you hit your bottom, on the bottom of the slide or the bottom of the pool? And she said, it was the bottom of the pool. I said, was it the top of your bottom or was it the bottom of your bottom? And, and she said, oh, it was, it was the bottom of my bottom. I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You went to the top of the pool and you sat down in the bottom of your bottom. You rode from the top to the bottom. And at the bottom, you hit the bottom of your bottom on the bottom. Is that right? And she said, I don't know. I, I said, uh, I said, okay, let's let's go over this again from the top, and so, and so who's on first? What's on second? I don't know. Who's on third? We had a really nice time. Would you would you take out your Bible with me this morning and go to two openings, John chapter one and Zechariah chapter three. 
John chapter 1, Zechariah chapter 3. It's on days like today that I realize my own limitations and my inability to be in two places at the same time. But it, it was fun to, to, to worship with you this morning. John chapter 1. We're going to be reading verse 14. John chapter 1 is one of my favorite all-time passages in all of Scripture. It's just amazing how it talks about the manifestation of Jesus. What, what actually happened when Jesus left heaven and came to earth? Uh, you can read about it in John chapter 1. I want to begin in verse 14, and then we'll go to Zechariah chapter 3. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word, this is speaking of Jesus, said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Notice this last line. Full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. How many of you are thankful that there's plenty of grace for you every time you fall short of the truth. Amen. Every time we fail on the truth side of things, there's a lot of grace available to make up the difference. Amen. If you would hold your finger there and, and flip over to Zechariah chapter 3, I'm going to read you from verses 1 through verse 10. And, uh, and for this one, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. In the New Living, it reads this way. Then the angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So Zechariah, real quickly, context, is having a vision here. And in this vision, the Lord is showing him something. He is seeing a few things. He's seeing the accuser, Satan, who was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. So get the picture in your mind for just a moment, if you would. Zechariah the prophet is seeing this vision that the Lord is showing him. In the vision, he's seeing three things. He's seeing the angel of the Lord. That is Jesus, by the way. And anytime you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's, it's a pre-incarnate version of Jesus. I don't have time to explain that theologically. Just trust me, okay? Uh, so, so there he is, he sees Satan, he sees the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, and he sees this high priest named Jeshua. Every time I read this, I thought, y'all spelled Joshua wrong, I'm pretty partial to that name, but, um, but it, it, it's in there as Jeshua. And this is what happens, verse 2, or excuse me, the end of verse 1, the accuser, Satan was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Jeshua's clothing, verse 3, Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the others standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Jeshua, he said, See, I have taken away your sins, and now I'm giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, They should also place a clean turban on his head. 
I love this. Zechariah's even, you know, throwing out some ideas in this vision. They should put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Jeshua and said, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. If you follow my ways, carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among those others standing here. Listen to me, O Jeshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. Now look at the jewel I've set before Jeshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. Wow, what an amazing, amazing passage. There's so many valuable things that we can take away from this. I I want to make one quick observation here. He says, I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. And he says, I'm going to send my servant, the branch. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy of the coming, the foretelling of Jesus coming many, many years, centuries even, before Jesus came. But there's some things that we can take out of this, some practical application that we can pull out of this scripture, out of this passage, paired with John chapter 1, that I think will help us and minister greatly to us. The title of my message this morning is Grace-Colored Glasses. Grace-Colored Glasses. You have heard the the idea of rose-colored glasses, right? Uh, Anybody? Yeah? Okay, good. Just making sure. Uh, You know, you you hear the idea of rose-colored glasses to somebody that just sees life in in just such a positive way. Uh, They they can't be bothered to see the negative side of life. They just see life through rose-colored glasses. I want to submit to you this morning, it's not a perfect analogy, but it works pretty good, that Jesus, when he sees you, just the way he saw Jeshua in this vision, that he sees through grace-colored glasses. Amen. That God doesn't look at you and hold up all of the things that you did wrong, all the mistakes, all the failures, and he doesn't hold those up in front of you to see. He actually looks at you through the blood of his son, Jesus. Amen. He actually looks at you and he actually believes, sometimes more than we believe ourselves, he actually believes that you're forgiven this morning. Amen. I know that maybe you don't feel forgiven. I know that sometimes we don't always feel what the Bible says, but the reality is if it's in this word, it's true and I can believe it. And God says in his word that he forgave us. The Bible says in John 1 that Jesus, when he was manifested, he came full of grace and truth. When God looks at our lives this morning, he doesn't look at us through the lens of our own failure. He doesn't look at us through the lens of all of our own sin. How detrimental would it be? How difficult would it be to pray? If every time I went before the Lord, I was just reminded of how terrible I was. Parents, think about this. You you who are parents... How often do you think your kids would want to come hug you if every time they came in for an embrace, you told them how rotten they were? Mommy, can I 
Daddy, can I have a... No, I don't, I don't, hug, I don't hug girls that are, that are constantly misbehaving. No, I don't, I don't, no I, don't, I don't pay attention to little boys that, that don't make their bed. Don't get me wrong, there's always room for discipline. Parents said, amen, <laughs> amen. Listen, sometimes those kids, sometimes you want to wring their neck. I get it. You got three of them, okay? And I was one once. I remember those days. Amen. No, but, but here's, here's the, the, the stark reality is that oftentimes Christians live with this incredible impending awareness of our own failure. We live with this, with this perpetual awareness of how we've made mistakes. And I'm just here to tell you, God doesn't look at you that way. Amen. God doesn't look at you through the lens of your sin and your failure. Amen. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't judge you based on your own merit. He doesn't judge you based on how many times you failed this week. He's not withholding blessing from you because you screwed up. Boy, if I could just get my act together, if I could just really get it dialed in, if I could pray enough, then I'm sure the Lord would bless me. If I could fast enough, then I'm sure God would be proud of me. According to this passage, God sees us oftentimes differently than we see ourselves. He sees through grace-colored glasses. And here's the reality. He invites us to do the same with one another. Come on. He invites us to do the same with one another. Sometimes we really struggle to give grace when it's needed. What is grace? Just a practical, practical, uh, you know, description of what grace is. There's a, there's a boy. I could preach for twelve weeks up just to answer that question. What is grace? But, but listen, let's just let's just really simply define it for us this morning. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve from God. It's when you get all of God's best in your life, despite what you deserve. Mercy, on the other hand, some of you have heard me say this before, mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you get what you don't deserve. Like if we were, I've used this illustration so many times, sorry for those that are hearing it again. If we went out here and decided to drag race down Bamboo Road, and uh, we just happened to be caught by the policeman, and he pulled us over, uh, you know, mercy would be him not giving us a ticket and taking our license away. That would be mercy. You're not going to get what you deserve. You deserve to, like a $1,000 ticket and to get your license removed and go spend an evening in the slammer. The word I haven't said or thought of in a very long time. <laughs> you deserve judgment, justice. Right? Nothing wrong with justice, but, but sometimes we deserve it. 
But mercy stays the hand of justice. The Bible, the Bible says that, that, that mercy is, it triumphs over judgment. So mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. Grace is when you totally get what you don't deserve. So keep the analogy going in your mind. Not only did you not get a ticket and go to jail, the cop decided to write you a $1,000 check. Here, here's a bunch of Wendy's gift cards. Go eat on me. That's a silly analogy, but it helps you get the point across. Mercy, God's mercy is available to us despite the wickedness of humanity. Despite every time that mankind has fallen short, you and me included in that statement, every time we have fallen short of the glory of God, mercy is available. And so is grace. What we witness in these passages, both in John and here in Zechariah, is a picture of how God sees us through his grace. This is what grace looks like when it encounters your life. As we look through this passage, I want to ask us the question, what does grace do? How does grace respond to our lives? You see, I don't think we make a big enough deal about the grace of God. Amen. I really don't. I really don't. In fact, I'm going to talk about that here in just a few verses. But look at what it says again in verses 1 and 2. The angel showed me Jeshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand, making accusations against Jeshua. If you ever wanted to know what the devil does with his spare time, this is it. He just loves to make accusations, to point out to you how bad you are, how bad you missed it, how wrong you were, how screwed up your life is. Anybody ever wake up and just, you just, for no reason at all, you're just in a bad mood and you're just conscious of your own shortcomings? I know I have, man. That's happened to me many times. I, I can't tell you the number of Sunday mornings that I have woken up, I'm being real serious, the, the Sunday mornings that I've woken up be like, I don't have it in me today. I don't have it in me at all today. I feel underqualified, underprepared, way behind. How am I gonna deliver God's word today? I fought with my wife last night before bed. That's what the enemy does to us all the time. If Jesus ever lives to make intercession, it's like the devil ever lives to make accusation. You follow me? Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 says that Satan stands before God night and day accusing believers. So you and I have to be aware of this. I, I make a big point of this because I want you to understand that it's going on. I want you to understand that when you feel those feelings, what their source is. I don't know about you, but I've done this many times in my life where I've had a feeling or a thought and I don't really pay attention to where it comes from. I just embrace the thought. Anybody ever done that besides me? Some thought comes to your mind and you just start to, you just all of a sudden, it's like you're under the load of that thought. It's like, well, you, you really don't amount to much in life. And all of a sudden, you feel this weight on you and you don't stop to think, where did that thought come from? Is that even true? 
Is that what the Bible says? Who spoke that thought to me? Where did it come from? I've done this more times than I can count, y'all. I make a point of this first verse because you need to understand that when condemnation comes, you need to know exactly where it's coming from. Because as soon as you find out where it's coming from, you can deal with it appropriately. Amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, Christ Jesus. So if you, uh, like me, are in Christ, how many of you are just in Christ this morning? You're saved. You're just so glad to be a child of God in the family of God. Glory to God. There's no condemnation for you this morning. Nothing that the enemy says is able to stack up in your life. And Jesus told the disciples this in the book of John, that, that the devil was a liar and the father of lies. So now, if you understand that the enemy is the accuser, that he just ever lives to make accusation, and Jesus said he's a liar, and he's actually the originator of all lies, the father of lies, next time some condemnation comes, it's real easy for you to determine what to do with that. What do you do with a lie? Come on, it's not a trick question. What do you do with a lie? You don't believe it. It's not true. If I told you today that the sky was purple and not blue, you would be like, you're full of it. That's stupid. You would know right away that I was telling you a lie and you wouldn't believe it. Yet so many times when the enemy begins to whisper in our lives and, and, and he, he just, you know, like the, like the little angel that sits on the guy's shoulder in the cartoon, you know, he just sits there and he whispers in your ear, you're not going to make it. You're going to fail. You're never going to, your marriage isn't going to work. Your kids are going to turn out messed up. You're going to get cancer and die early. You're going to, your, your job and your business are going to fail. You're going to run out of money. You're going to, yeah, I'm telling you what, your life is going to fall apart. Your marriage is going to fall apart. All that stuff is just a lie. It's just the accuser of the brethren doing what he does best, accusing. And I'm here to tell you that God doesn't see you that way. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That means God will never side with your guilt. He'll always side with you being the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God sees you as you truly are are redeemed. Look at verse 2. The Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. Watch this statement. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. Grace sees you as you are truly, as you truly are, redeemed. He said, this guy you're talking about? No, no, no. He's, he's a stick that's been snatched from the fire. He's one that's been, no, 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 devil, you got it all wrong. I reject your accusations. This is not one of those sticks. This is a stick that's been pulled from the fire. You follow what I'm saying? This is not one of those, this is not one of those sinners. This is one of this is one that I've already redeemed. This is one that I've already snatched from the fire. Get your facts straight, devil. He knows where you came from because he rescued you from there. Hallelujah. And he's never going to hold that against you. 
God's never going to talk to you like you're in the fire, not after he snatched you from it. Come on, y'all. He's not going to talk to you like you're still in sin because he snatched you from it. I'm telling you, we don't make enough of the grace of God. We don't make a big enough deal of God's grace. It's too easy to live a self-righteous existence thinking that we earned it because, man, I've been going to church for 22 years. I've been, listen, man, I, I, listen, my life is great, okay? I, I haven't failed. I haven't cheated on my taxes, never punched any of my kids in the face. You know, I mean, we're, everything's good. I'm self-righteous. I got here on my own. We would never say that, but it's real easy to think that way. And so then when, it, when we do fail, we all of a sudden just go rock bottom because we think we're such, we're such miserable sinners. God's like, I don't see you that way. I snatched you from the fire already. You didn't snatch yourself from the fire. I snatched you from the fire. Look at verse 3. In verse 4, he says, Jeshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. Turning to Jeshua, he said, see, look, look, I've taken away your sins. I'm now giving you fine new clothes. You know what I love about this verse? Grace is willing to touch what's filthy. <laughs> That's what I love about Jesus, man. He didn't hold the tax collectors and the harlots and the drunks at arm's length. That's what the Pharisees did. He never, he never held the, the worst sinners at arm's length. He got right up next to them. You see, it's the accuser that stands at a distance hurling his accusations. It's the enemy that stands at a distance hurling his thoughts and his lies at you. Meanwhile, God is over here giving you a, a brand new nature and a brand new identity and brand new clothes. The Bible says we've been clothed in robes of righteousness. We've been transformed, we've been redeemed, we've been set free. We're in the family of God now. Jesus was willing to touch what the religious crowd deemed as filthy. Grace is going to get close enough to touch your sin and call you clean. Under the Old Testament, the old paradigm was if you touched, if you were clean and you touched something that was dirty, you became contaminated. That's how it worked in the Old Covenant. That's why, that's, why, that's why the woman with the issue of blood, she was considered unclean. She took such a huge risk going through the crowds to, to touch Jesus' garment. She could have been stoned to death immediately just by being in the crowd because the paradigm was if you're unclean, you can't be around people that are clean because if they touch you, then they're unclean now. God totally, in the new covenant, because of the blood of Jesus, God totally reverses that in its entirety. That now, if you're clean and you touch something that is unclean, you don't become unclean, they become clean. So grace is able to go into the places of our lives that are filthy and clean them up. Grace is able to transform you because God's not afraid to touch what was filthy in our lives. 
we've not made a big enough deal of God's grace. I've been, I've been there in my own life as a preacher. You know, you try to strike the balance between things as a minister. Make sure you're preaching the truth, you know. But I, I, I think this, I've done this, you know, I, I've, I've worried that to make a big deal of God's grace is to tell people that they can sin. That it was okay to sin. I remember hearing this growing up all the time. You know, you, you got to be careful when you're preaching grace because uh, that'll give people a license to sin. My dad always said, people sin without a license all the time. They don't need my encouragement to sin. Our problem is we, we've never had to clarify for people if we've never had to clarify for people what grace really means, it's probably because we haven't made a big enough deal of it. Paul actually writes an entire chapter in the book of Romans. It's chapter 6, if you want to go read it. He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Heaven forbid. And, and he writes this whole long litany about why we don't abuse or frustrate the grace of God by continuing to sin when we know that it's wrong. So we're not here to try to abuse the grace of God, but this is what I think is so funny. You know why Paul had to write that? You know why he had to write Romans chapter 6? Because he made such a big deal of God's grace that he had to clarify himself a little bit. And I think if we've never had to clarify ourselves about it, it's probably because we haven't made a big enough deal about it yet. You following what I'm saying? The Bible says that in Isaiah 64 that our righteousness is like filthy rags. We come to God with nothing. We, we come to God with nothing of value. It's purely by the extension of his grace into our lives that he turns us around, changes our nature, recreates us from the inside out, and then begins to clothe us in robes of righteousness. That's just what he did to Jeshua here. That's just what he's done for you. And from now on, that's how he sees you. Glory to God. Most people, that you know, they have no no picking up on our ability to tell them that they've made a mistake. They know we're pretty good at that. What if we got equally good at telling people that their sins were eradicated at the cross and now God has dressed them in his very righteousness? Again, Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. We could say it this way. Our attempts at being righteous are useless. Jeshua, the high priest in this passage, cannot clean his own robes. It's like, no matter what you do to try to clean yourself, it's just not good enough. You need Jesus to do for you what you could never do for yourself. The book of Ecclesiastes asks the question, can the leopard change his own spots? You need Jesus to come and transform within you those things that you cannot fix on your own. And can I tell you, it doesn't stop just when you got saved. The same way you got saved is the same way you're going to get free from any other thing that the enemy tries to put on you. 
Any other sin that you have. You know, some people, they get saved and they have lingering issues in their lives. They, they, they're, they're doing their best to renew their mind to the word of God, but, but maybe they still struggle in some area. Can I tell you, the same grace that sets you free from sin when you got saved is the same grace that God will use to cleanse every bit of unrighteousness out of your life. Don't try to do it on your own strength. That's what I'm saying to you this morning. What does grace do? Grace removes your sin and replaces it with God's righteousness. Because grace refuses to leave you in the condition that it found you in. Two verses. We read one of them last week. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will be joyful in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a groom puts on a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. God has decorated you with his righteousness. Do you remember that we talked a little bit about that last week? We, we, we said that he gives, us, he gives us beauty for ashes. And you remember that word beauty? It's the same word that we see here for turban. The Lord puts upon us by his grace, his, his, his righteousness, his nature, his qualities, his temperament, his joy, his peace, his grace, his abundance, his faith. Everything that you have working in you right now came from God to you as a free gift. And all he asks for in return is that we would just believe him. I mean, look at the, come here, I am going to use you as, a, as an example. She asked me before service, am I going to be used as an example today? These are, these are the conversations I have with my children on Sundays. Listen, listen, how hard is this for me to give you this? Not hard at all. All God is asking from us is to believe in what he has given us. Now, close your eyes. <laughs> Just hold out your hand. I'm giving you this. You can't see that I'm giving it to you, but I'm giving it to you nonetheless. Do you believe that I just put a towel in your hand? Yeah, see, that's all God's asking from us. I made you righteous. Well, I don't feel righteous. Yeah, but I made you righteous. Do you believe that I made you righteous? Yes, Lord, I believe you made me righteous. Now you begin to reap the benefits of a righteous life. You see, God, thank you, baby. God, God deposits all these things into our lives like his joy. Let's just use joy as an example. Maybe you're feeling like Jeshua, dirty clothes, just got pulled out of a fire. It's, a, it's been a rough night, you know. And God comes along and he says, you know what? My joy is your strength. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, right around verse 19, he says that we would be strengthened with might by God's spirit in our inner man. So the Bible says God has promised that somewhere inside of you, he's placed his joy. The question is, will you believe it when you don't feel it? 
Because the minute that you begin to say, yes, I will believe it, even though I don't see it, even though I have no outward way of expressing it, even though I don't feel the joy, I trust you because you told me that it was there. My eyes are closed, but I know you're putting a towel in my hand right now. And you see, when you begin to just simply believe what he has said about you, you begin to reap benefits of what he said. All he asks is for us to believe. And here's the thing he's asking us to believe in this passage. Will you believe that he made you righteous? Will you believe it? I know you messed up yesterday. I know you failed. I know you sinned. I know you fell into the same thing again. Here we are again in the same situation. I already told the Lord I'd never do it again. And here I am doing it again. In that moment, will you believe that he made you righteous? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, listen to this. For he made him, that's Jesus, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Listen to it from the New Living. God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. In the message, how you ask? In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. The Amplified says it this way, he made Christ who knew no sin judiciously to be sin on our behalf. So that in him, we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in right relationship with him by his gracious loving kindness. The Living Bible says, For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Let me read that last one again. For God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. Will you believe that God poured his goodness into you this morning? Because if you will believe that, you actually now by grace have been given the opportunity to live like it was so. Grace changes how you look to the world around you. I love that after he decorates Jeshua with a new turban and a new robe, don't you think Jeshua started to look different to the people around him? Don't you think other people around him probably recognize, hey man, did you get a new robe? Is that, is that a new turban? Oh, this old thing? <laughs> this season or last season? That was this season's turban, yeah. But don't you think that people began to notice? Because, because grace changes how you appear to the rest of the world around you. I remember when my Aunt Karen gave her life to the Lord. She had a, she had a really profound experience with God and, and uh, after many years of searching had just found the Lord and gave her life to, to Jesus and, and she was working at a company at that time and, and she went into work 
the next the next day, like Monday morning, and and she walked in, and her office, everybody in her office was like, "What happened to you?" They said something has changed about what changed about you. You see, when you're operating under the hand of grace, you look different. Come on, y'all. You look different. You look better. Amen? (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) No, you look better. Grace takes takes you right where you're at, and it elevates your life. You look different to the world around you when you're under the hand of God's grace. Grace will make you appear different than how you used to be. And you know what that does? That opens the door. It opens the opportunity for you to tell somebody about how good Jesus has been to you. Oh, man, can you imagine? Somebody comes up to you, hey, what's, what's different about you? Something's going on in your life. Man, you, you used to be so negative, but now you're not negative anymore. You're so positive. What's happened? Let me tell you. Let me tell you how good Jesus has been to me. Because he took what I was and he changed it. He made me so much better than I used to be. And, and the cool thing is, you don't take any credit for it. It's not like, it's, it's not like you, you know, you just got done, uh, you know, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's not like you can take any credit for it. Grace changes how you appear. Finally, last two things. Y'all, y'all doing good? You still with me over here? All right. Grace empowers you to serve. If you if you look, we won't read it for the sake of time, but if you read down from verse 6 down through verse 9, the the tone of the whole conversation changes. And now God, after he has decorated Jeshua in a new suit and given him this season's turban, and he's looking great, and he's just on the right side of things. He snatched him from the fire. Everything's going Jeshua's direction. Now God turns in the conversation and begins to talk to him about his assignment. But I want you to notice real quickly, God didn't give Jeshua an assignment until he gave him a new identity first. You you got a lot of people out here trying to serve God, and they still don't realize who God has called them to be. They still don't understand what their identity is in Christ, so they think their value to God is defined by what they can do for God. Come on. Anybody ever put service in front of relationship when it comes to God? I know I have. We think that because, you know, God called me to pastor, so if I'm a super good pastor, then the Lord's going to be happy with me. No, he gave me an identity in him. He filled me with his righteousness before he ever asked me to plant a church. Hallelujah. So God gives Jeshua an assignment now, and guess what he gives him? Authority and anointing. Now he's able to serve effectively. See, once you know who God has made you to be and you receive his grace, now grace empowers you to make a difference in the world around you, to begin to serve, to begin to be involved in what God is doing in the earth. Don't ever get the two confused. Finally, verse 10, grace makes you a promise about your future. On that day, 
says the Lord of heaven's armies. Each of you will invite your neighbor to sit with you peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. Grace not only washes you, not only snatches you out of the fire, not only gives you a, an identity and gives you a calling, gives you an anointing and gives you, uh, you know, everything that you need. Not only that, grace gives you a promise about your future. We know Jeremiah 29, 11, backwards and forwards. God's, God's plan for us is to give us a hope and to give us a future. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says that all of the promises of God are in Christ. Yes and amen. Not only has grace taken you out of what you were in, it's given you everything you need and a promise for your future. I'm here to tell you today, tomorrow ought to be better than today. In your life, next week ought to be better than this week. Next month ought to be better than next month. The Bible says that the path of the just is like the rising, the shining of the sun. That means the longer you walk with God, the more you go with the Lord, the more you follow God, things ought to be getting increasingly better and more vibrant and more beautiful in your life. God's desire is not to lead you down a path toward emptiness. His desire is to lead you by his word and by his spirit, by the voice on the inside, into fullness of life. Hallelujah. Preached about it a couple weeks ago. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. We need to remember that God sees us through his grace. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I don't know about you, but I've had a really nice time at church today. my yellow shoes because I wanted extra anointing this morning. So. <laughs> just kidding. Why don't you just stand there where you're standing and just bow your head and close your eyes. I, wanna, I want us to take a moment and pray. And here's what I want you to do. You can do this physically if you want to or you can just do it from your heart. Imagine that your hands are open and you're getting ready to receive something from God. This is, the, this is the posture of receptivity. You don't have to work for God's blessing. You don't have to work for, for his power to be in your life. You don't have to earn anything from him. His grace is just that good. So I want us to just, whether you, again, whether you stretch your hands out physically or whether you just do this as a posture from your heart, but I want you to get ready to receive and I'm going to pray a prayer over you and I want you to receive from God today. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose and make a difference in this world. 
If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.